Welcome back to Silk Flowers and Paper Mache Hearts. We are your hosts, Eric Hart and Ashley Flowers. And today we're sitting down with Zoe Morissette. Thank you again, Zoe, for sitting down with us. My pleasure. So last week we spoke a lot about the props that Zoe has built in the past for Broadway and for TV. And we wanted to chat a little bit about what what is it like freelancing in New York and more of the business side. I know in the last episode you mentioned bidding, and I thought maybe we could start off just chatting a little bit about what that is exactly for a freelancer. Sure, because it's really, really important to have some idea of what you're doing when you do bid or you could lose your shirt. Um, You know, when you start out, you're not going to be bidding on a Broadway show, most likely. And to be honest with you, you have to be invited to bid on a Broadway show. You can't just bid. Mm -hmm. So this is why you need to build up relationships with production prop masters, designers, you know, and it could be people you met in school who end up you know, going in that direction. I had to work in other shops for a long time before I actually bid on shows myself. And it was also a good way, of course, to to sort of learn the ropes, to see what it entailed, you know, to put together a prop package or even one single prop, the kinds of research that had to be done, the kinds of shopping that had to be done. Mm -hmm. Because when you bid, you aren't just bidding on the finished product. You have to figure out what you're going to use to build it, how long it's going to take you, how much you need to make per day. A lot of people charge a day rate. It's Mm -hmm. sort of easier that way. Um, And all of those little things. And no job ever goes perfectly. So you really sort of need to pad in some extra time. Because if you think, oh, I can do that in exactly two and a half days, and then say (laughs) it takes you four days because you run into a problem. Well, if you've already bid on it, you can't just change the bid you know, you've given them a price. Yeah. Um, The only way a price can change normally is if they ask for major changes, if that's coming from the director, the producer, you know, some, someone on the production. Mm -hmm. And then you really want to have it in, in a contract that major changes will be in writing and paid for. Now it's very helpful if you've built up relationships so that you have a good understanding with the people you're working with. But that's not always going to be the case. So do have something in writing. You know, even an agreement in an email, that's considered a contract. You know, if both parties have agreed to a price or whatever, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. make sure you absolutely hang on to that paper trail. Yeah. Like I never just leave it in the computer. If I have bid on something online, like on Hamilton, I work on all the productions of Hamilton. So I don't have to do any big formal contract. They will send me, we need so many more of this or that, you know, what's the price for that? I email that price. And when it's agreed upon and I'm given the green light, I print that email out Mm -hmm. and that goes in my Hamilton file. So Mm -hmm. I have that piece of paper because God forbid you lose it (laughs) and have proof of what you said, you know, you bid and it gets questioned down the road. You know, it can happen. Sometimes, you know, you work on a show like especially a Broadway show, if it does well, it it may end up touring. Well, you want to know what you charged a year ago. You know, you certainly don't want to go down and the price might even go up. Yeah. Or Mm -hmm. because you've done all the R&D, you know, maybe that might change the price because there won't be as much work possibly. Mm -hmm. But that's actually where you make your money is on the tours because you did figure it all out. Because you never really get paid for all of the research and development. Like, I don't know many people that really make money on that end, Yeah. you know. Um, there's just so much that goes into it. You, know, you come across so many things you weren't expecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of the fun of it too, you know, sort of the challenge of it, I think. Yeah. 
And you're thinking about it at night when you go to sleep. And so you're spending all the hours of the day. (laughs) You can't shut your brain off. Right. (laughs) That's a problem for me, especially if I'm doing a big job. Right before I start, I get really anxious and I can't sleep because I can't shut my brain off. Once I've actually started doing the work, I'm fine. I just settle into a routine of every day going into the shop and working on it. You know, but until I get to the point where I'm actually building, I can get really anxious. Mm-hmm. And even after all these years, that does not change. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a little anal that way, you know, <laughs> very detail oriented. But that's also what people like about my work. You will never see hot glue. You will never see threads of hot glue. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's very clean. You won't see stains on stuff. When I give it to them, it's pristine if it's supposed to be, you know, yeah. unless I'm supposed <laughs> to age it or something. Right. But I'm known for turning my work in on time, always, and turning in a good product that holds up. And there are people I've met in the business who aren't in the business anymore. And, you know, when I was younger, I used to think, why am I so worried about being so diligent about all this stuff? Because I see so-and-so and they don't pay half as much attention to stuff. And then as the years went by, all of a sudden, I never heard so-and-so's name anymore. Mm. They were no longer in the business. And I'm still working, you know, after, you know, close to 50 years. So there's something to be said for really doing a job well. You know, even if I'm at the point where I'm doing a little extra, even though I'm not being paid for it, that I know that extra few hours I spend or that extra day even that I spend on something, it's going to be just so much more fabulous in the way I want it to be, but I'll Mm -hmm. do it. Mm -hmm. But they remember that, you know, and then you get the same people calling you back. I've worked with two production prop masters most of my career, and especially this last half of my career with one of them. Every single show she does, she tries to get me work. Mm-hmm. And that's huge. Yeah, you know, That's huge. Because like she said, when, when Hamilton hit, she's like, finally, we've got a hit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but we knew it was going to tour. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and that's what you want. You know, that's, absolutely what you want to have happen because mm-hmm. that is where you make your money you have done all of the research you know what your materials are going to cost you and of course keep those bibles you know make a bible on every show you do with all of your notes you know how much you bid copies of the of the contracts you made with them the companies that you ordered from that's really important because i found you know i'll do a show that's run for several years and all of a sudden something that i order all the time online that company no longer carries it. Oh, no. And so, yeah. you know, this happened, for instance, with Hamilton, mm-hmm. the glasses, the um, champagne glasses that I do. We get a very beautiful, um, you know, it's a polycarbonate fake cut glass. It's more expensive than real glass. Mm-hmm. You know, I think yeah. about six yeah. just plastic glass, and then I have mm-hmm. to treat it and put a magnet on it. And all of a sudden, they disappeared from the United States. But because thank God for the online prop forums, and this was the spam group, Mm -hmm. um, someone actually posted a picture that had that particular glass in it. And I commented, I said, yeah, but you can't get it anymore. He says, ah, but you can, you can get it in London. (laughs) (laughs) And he gave me the uh, company name and I contacted this lovely woman by email and we went back and forth because I had to find out what it was going to cost to get it from them and have it shipped over because if it was too much, you know, the producers weren't going to go for it. Yeah. We did find another glass here that was 
similar, but just not as elegant looking. It just wasn't as nice, but it was going to be our backup if we had, if we had to use it. But then it turned out it was only going to be a few dollars more per glass, including the shipping. So I, of course I had to get that authorized first, but as soon as we got it authorized, I ordered like a case. You know, uh-huh. I wanted to make sure I had 48, you know, right, yeah. and, and uh, so that really worked out, but that's why you need to keep all those notes what the name of the glass is that usually has a SKU number or something, make sure you've got all of that, you know, for when you're doing bids. And now for Broadway bidding is a little different. Um, when I worked on big shows, like say the little mermaid, they had actual bid sessions and they might invite like a dozen studios. You would all go in the same time, sit at a big table, usually with the assistant designer and probably the production prop master And everyone is given a Bible of all the technical drawings of every single prop in the show. Mm -hmm. And we go through page by page as a group. Anyone in the group can ask a technical question. And that way, everybody gets the same information at the same time. When they're done, you're sent home. You're given usually three to five days to work on a bid. And very few studios are going to bid on everything because it's Mm -hmm. everything from pyrotechnics to furniture, to soft goods. And of course, not everyone does everything. Yeah. But they will have blocks of props. They'll say, you have to bid on that entire block, not just one thing in it, you know? But face it, th- these are shows that have, you know, a couple hundred pieces, mm-hmm. you know, even more. So um, you just bid on the things that you would like to do. But that gives you enough time to do very quickly all the research. And then you submit your bids electronically all the same day. And, you know, they make it very, very fair. Everybody has exactly the same amount of time. If anybody has a question, they have to email it to the designer or the, you know, design team. And the answer and question are then emailed to everyone else who's bidding so that everyone gets that same information. I was always really impressed by how that was done. I thought that was great. But I haven't gone to a session like that in a long, long time. Oh, yeah. Is that a Disney thing or is that all the big Broadway shows? Well, it's definitely a Disney thing. Um, But I did a lot of Disney. Yeah. (laughs) Especially because I used to work on the ice show, a lot of the skating animals and things. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't all do that. But but there is a bid process. You know, sometimes they will um, just send out the information because everybody, of course, I started out before everybody had email, quite frankly. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. So now that everybody obviously is online, they can actually email information to the studios that they're interested in having bid. And this is what I mean by you have to be invited to bid. Um, you can't just decide you're going to bid on a show. It doesn't happen that way. Mm-hmm. You know, They know the studios they like. They also know what kind of work you do or what your specialties are. And if it's a show that has some of those things then they'll send you that information and say, we'd like you to bid on this, this, this. And then mm-hmm. you send, you know, you send an email bid to them, but you will be bidding against other people. You may not know who, but you know, you will be. And then very shortly after they will send you a response, letting you know if you got any of it. And, you know, initially I used to be kind of frustrated if I, sometimes you'd only get like one prop out of a whole show. Mm-hmm. But what I found out is once you are on that vendor list, that is all you need is one prop because once they get into rehearsals, they start adding stuff. I have at times done more props after the bid session than I actually got on the initial bid because they just kept adding things and calling me and say, well, could you do this? Could you build this? You know, whatever. 
And so then you can end up with a whole pile of stuff you're building. Mm-hmm. So don't be heartened if you only initially get one prop, right. you know, it ends up being a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I don't usually work on regional, but occasionally like Hartford stage, you know, and they would literally just call me and ask me to bid on a piece like yeah. a turkey, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> or a Christmas carol. Right. And is there an ever, uh, I guess, like sub bidding where some shop uh, wins the bid for a chunk of props, but then they piece it out even more and they give you a call to see how much you would charge for like one specific piece? Actually, it's really specific in the contract. It'll say absolutely no sub, you know, subs on it unless it is cleared with the designers. Mm -hmm. You can't just do that, you know. I mean, if it's something like they know you don't weld and something needs to be welded, obviously you're going to get it welded. But you can't just try to sort of hand off an entire prop, mm-hmm. you know, outside of your shop unless it's been cleared. And it very often will say right in the bid that you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Then they don't want you bidding on it. Because then you're taking a cut, the other one's taking a cut, you know, that bumps the price up. Mm-hmm. So they may not want to do that. But mm-hmm. they'll be really specific about it. I have mm. found are the these shops have like over hires, so sometimes they just bring in somebody mm-hmm. to work on yeah. it. Okay, like I've been an over hire many times, uh-huh. especially like when I work in advertising, um, the special effects studios that do the models for advertising, you know, for print and for commercials. They usually have a skeleton crew, mm-hmm. but what they so varied, they just can't keep someone on full time for every possible situation. Yeah. So I had a couple of studios that used me a lot, but for very specific things, Mm -hmm. specific skills, like for sculpting, for work with fabric, because their guys didn't do fabric, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Because I know I've I've gotten calls like that. It'll be some studio or something. And they're like, hey, so we do platforms and flats, but this bid also has some weird tree. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I've got yeah, those. Okay you're like, okay, producers, that's fine. Uh-huh. You know, but you have to be careful about it because, like I said, for the Broadway contracts, I have definitely seen it in the contract. You're not allowed to sub anything out mm-hmm. unless they pay it, you know. And right. of course, in some certain circumstances, they'll understand because of what the particular thing is. Mm-hmm. But lots of times they won't, you know. So I basically don't bid on anything that I can't really do mostly myself. Yeah. You know, to me, it's sort of what's the point, you know? Right. Because I don't have a huge top either. So, mm-hmm. how long before you were comfortable with the amount you were bidding? Like, how long before you knew you were getting a pretty exact bid whenever you came up with a price? Well, <laughs> there are still times. <laughs> are you still? <laughs> you still wish you'd ask for more. Uh-huh. Uh, the problem is sometimes you know they really don't have any more. Uh huh. I mean, I did a job last year. And it was for the Boston Early Music Festival. And I'm working with the designers in England, never going to meet her. The singers are all over the country, never going to get a fitting. I was going to be doing armor, you know. Mm-hmm. And a good friend of mine who I worked with on um, Finding Neverland, um, he works with this particular festival. And he's like an assistant on it. So he had highly recommended me because I've done armor before. Mm-hmm. And it had to be flexible and lightweight and comfortable because it's for opera singers. And uh, the thing is that initially when she told me, I think she might have told me what her budget was. And I said, there's no way I could do it for that. 
because it's too much work to spend that much time for that little money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, you know, that was only a number I kind of threw out to the producers (laughs) originally. What would be a more fair price? And uh, I bumped it up a couple thousand dollars, you know. It still was more work. (laughs) (laughs) I should have charged another 4,000, but I also knew they didn't have it, you know. Uh And the thing is, it was a really gorgeous job. And I was going to learn a lot doing it. I actually discovered a new uh, resource for a really quality EVA foam that I'm now using all the time. And I um, kind of developed not necessarily new techniques, but techniques I hadn't done in years and kind of improved on them and found some new materials to work with that I hadn't used before. So I learned a ton of stuff on that job. And it turned out gorgeous. They were thrilled with it. The opera singers loved it, you know, and uh, so it it worked out, you know, sometimes, you know, you're not going to make a killing on a job, (laughs) but when it's a really beautiful job and if you don't have anything else booked, you know, I'd rather be working than not working basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also adjust my prices according to who it's for, you know, because if it's for off, off Broadway, I mean, I actually have done a lot of pro bono work. We have an off, off Broadway theater in my neighborhood, the secret theater, I've never charged them. You know, I know the owner of the theater. He's a wonderful guy. And he'll only approach me if he has some really um, interesting piece that he just knows they can't make because they don't have a full-time prop person or they have some really young person without a lot of experience who's going to do the show. Mm -hmm. And uh, he'll ask me to do it. And it's never a huge ask, you know, and it's always something kind of fun, you know. And, And to me, that's my local theater. So I like being able to do that for them mm-hmm. because plenty of people, you know, helped me out when I started out, you know, hiring me, especially when I didn't have a, a prop building background, particularly, mm-hmm. you know, like my background was more performance. Yeah. Um, I happen to have a high aptitude in math, science and mechanical reasoning and spatial relationships with search certainly helps, you know. And I come from a very artsy-fartsy family. My mother was an art teacher and an artist. And my sister was an artist. Um, and lots of woodworkers in the family, you know. But uh, I never took a prop class. I never took a costume class. I never had any of that technical background. But when I was in school, our department was so tiny that everybody had to do everything, which I thought was great. Mm-hmm. I've worked a fly rail. We had a sandbag system. That's how old that theater was. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I worked the fly rail. I've run a follow spot. I've called a show, a couple of shows, actually. Even in New York, I called a show. And uh, I should never be a stage manager. (laughs) 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 You need such a calm, cool, collected temperament for that. (laughs) And when they asked me, oh, you want to do it next year? I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Like, never again. (laughs) They said, you were great. And I was like, yeah, and I'm a nervous wreck, you know. Oh, no. I'd much rather be working in the studio, quite frankly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where was I? Oh, like if it is like the little local ballet school, I've done stuff for them. Mm-hmm. The little uh-huh. local theater company and stuff for them, you know, but then I will also get the calls around Halloween from total strangers, you know, <laughs> saying, oh, my son really needs, you know, and it's like, let me stop you right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do this professionally for a living. I'm not doing you a $50 costume. Oh, yeah. I said, I can do the materials for $50, mm-hmm. you know? And I suggested to them, I said, you know what? Why don't you approach your local high school art department 
see if there's a student who might be interested, mm-hmm. you know, you throw them a few bucks and they might be thrilled to do it. And maybe they could use it for their portfolio, but I am not at that level. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. I get that Teenage a lot. With a lot of people. Oh, it'd be great for your portfolio. <laughs> I, have right. I don't need anything in my portfolio you know, <laughs> at this point. And in fact, this is another reason you want to really build those relationships. Like I said, with, you know, prop masters and designers, et cetera. I mm-hmm. rarely look for work. People usually call me and it's usually on recommendation, uh-huh. you know, and that's being really diligent about your work. And like I said, on time, fair prices, never deliver schlock. No schlock ever leaves my studio. Mm-hmm. And if something goes wrong, I will fix it. Yeah. You know, if it was my fault, especially. <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't happen very often. You know, the only time it happened actually was on, this is kind of funny, on um, Hamilton. They added a prop after the show left the public theater. Mm-hmm. And it was a stack of newspapers. And, you know, they said we want it, you know, to be like three and a half inches high, this size. It was really the size of those little local newspapers you find in New York, which was perfect, mm-hmm. you know, for filler papers. Right. And tied up like a bundle. And so I'm assuming it's, you know, sitting on the stage, like stage dressing. And they said, but we do want like a couple of pieces of plywood inside and screw through. Okay. So I did what they said. And then I get a note. The newspapers are coming apart. And I said, what are they doing with it? And this is what happens when the producers don't invite the prop people to see the show (laughs) or see even a rehearsal, you know, (laughs) and I hadn't seen it. The new production prop master hadn't seen it. They're dropping it from a balcony to the floor every night. And it's like, well, no wonder it's coming apart. (laughs) If I had known that, I would have built it completely differently. Mm -hmm. And I did. You know, and I made it so it's it is glued and stapled and screwed and plywood and washers and you yeah. know <laughs> that thing is not going anywhere. But at, at one point, I said, you know, to the prop master, I said, you know, if we don't want it to come apart, why don't I sculpt it? Do like a solid block of EVA and groove the edges and paint it, you know, so it looks like a stack. There's no way it can come apart if it's solid. And she thought that was a great idea. So she said, why don't you do that for the London production? Hmm. So I did. And I even weighed a real stack of newspapers because I wanted to weight it to the correct weight. Mm -hmm. And so I did bury a piece of plywood closer to the bottom, you know, glued on lead fishing weights and all that's all buried in the middle of all this EVA. And it looked great. We send it over and we get a note back. It sounds like wood when it hits the floor. Hmm. (laughs) Well, guess what? A nine pound stack of newspapers doesn't sound like paper when it hits the floor. (laughs) (laughs) but I had to rebuild it with real papers for them. (laughs) So we scrapped that idea, which is too bad because it it actually worked really, really well, you know, and probably would have lasted longer. But um, so that's what happens. You know, somebody else thinks it's great and someone else doesn't like it at all. And as one friend said, well, it is wood. What do they expect? <laughs> but I mean, because of course it slams to the floor. It's probably dropping about 12 feet. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, but that's the kind of stuff you have to just get over that. You can't take it personally. You can't let it get to you, you know, especially yep. like when I did ads, um, you know, you'd spend all this time building a model for a commercial and then it goes by in like less than a second, literally. Mm-hmm. It just yeah. goes, it's gone. Or they cut it. Lots of times they'll just cut things for all kinds of reasons. It has nothing to do with how good your piece was. It could be like I've had stuff cut 
a couple times from Saturday Night Live, it was just cut for time or they decided the sketch wasn't funny enough. It's not that they didn't like what I built, mm-hmm. but NBC archives all those costumes. They have an incredible store of costumes. I mean, when they go for a, a necktie, there's a rack of probably a thousand neckties, you know, and a whole bunch of pocketbooks, and a whole bunch of hats and a whole bunch of everything, you know, mm-hmm. so um, never wasted. They'll so use it all down there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. They've got it all. I, I actually, many, many, many years ago for a flop Broadway show, one of my first, it was literally called Broadway Follies in the early <laughs> 80s. And we all knew it was going to be a flop. It's interesting. People in the shops knew it was going to flop because we heard all of the bad news. It was going around like wildfire. You know, mm-hmm. the leads were fighting. They were in the middle of a divorce for real. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you know, uh-oh. And yet we had to build this chicken costume three times rebuild it right and he said but it's not even going to run you know (laughs) it opened and closed in a night and that costume went into storage at what used to be eves brooks you know they had the biggest rental i think on probably on the east coast for costumes right here in astoria and or just north of the bridge and i'm watching saturday night live i think and i see Pee Wee Herman running around in our chicken suit, which has been turned into a turkey, <laughs> <laughs> probably for Thanksgiving. And I'm like, no. wait a minute, that's our chicken. <laughs> <laughs> so they do use this stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I knew they had saved it. You know. So you don't do much marketing, but uh, you do post a lot uh, on social media, your pictures of your work. That's why I do. Uh-huh. Because what I like is that being on prop forums, that's my market. Those are the people who I want to have see it. You know, people in other fields don't need to see my work. They're not going to hire me. Mm -hmm. And I've actually gotten a couple of university jobs just from Facebook. Yeah. I feel that's how people find me. They see something online. I don't carry around a portfolio. I don't send it to people. They just, they see it and that's what they want. Yeah. I find the other thing is because I don't do just one thing, like I'm not a welder or just costumes, whatever. I do so many different craft skills that, you know, I don't actually have a website. And what happens when people call me to build something, I ask them, what is it specifically, you know, that you're looking for? I will send you photos of things I have done before that are similar to that. Mm-hmm. And then I'll send them maybe five photos of costumes or props that are the type of thing that they're looking for. Because people really don't want to wade through a whole portfolio necessarily. You know, they're busy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, especially if it's for television, they're in a rush, you know, and they need something really fast or for film, same thing. And I think they kind of like the personal attention of me specifically sending them personally something geared to what they're looking for and then they can immediately know if that's the kind of thing i do right and they'll get back to me or not and i'm very happy to recommend people if it's something that's out of my skill set and i know it Mm -hmm. you know i don't want to experiment on their job (laughs) Uh i will tell them you know that isn't exactly what i do but i know some very good shops who do exactly that kind of work Mm -hmm. they are so grateful that you have done that because that saves them legwork and you're sending them to somebody good. It's somebody, you know, who does that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And they remember you for that. 
I remember getting a call once on a job and I, I will say, by the way, where did you get my name? They had gotten it like two years earlier, recommended oh, yeah. by someone I never even worked for because <laughs> I had been recommended to them, mm-hmm. you know? That's and uh, so that's how it, how it works, you know? So keep a good rec- reputation out there <laughs> right. is one thing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, always recommend somebody when you have to turn something down. That's what I always do. Oh, yes. Yes, exactly. Definitely. Exactly. And the thing is that my friends return the favor. I'm not really afraid of, oh, I'm going to lose all my work to them because mm-hmm. they do the same thing for me. Mm-hmm. Or they'll even call and say, could you do this part of the job? Like I've done um, sometimes, like if I do animal things, like a costume thing, mm-hmm. that's really a prop, animal head. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. Part of its own thing. Like I got a call on um, Chris Rock's film Top 5. Mm-hmm. They needed a grizzly bear costume. And I was in the middle of a job. I said, oh, there's no way I can do it by your shoot date of August 9th. You know, mm-hmm. this was like July. So I forgot about it. And uh, I probably gave them a few other names, you know. Then they call me like August 10th and said, are you available now? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, what happened to August 9th shoot date? Oh, the bear we got was not at all what, you know, Scott Rudin wanted. And he was really pissed and he's like just fix it (laughs) (laughs) so i said do me a favor send me the picture of the one that he hated so i know (laughs) so they did and what happened is the assistant had been in charge of you know getting this thing built and he wanted to use his friend's shop Mm. now that friend is also a friend of mine who does beautiful work but this is not the type of work they normally do Mm mm-hmm and it came out looking very much like a mascot head, oh, you know, yeah. in a bear. And it was too cute, frankly. And I was told, oh, it has to look like, you know, like Clint Eastwood, you know, if he was a, a bear. Originally, I thought it was just going to be a background thing. No, this was actually for Chris Rock. It's <laughs> like, oh my, you know. But now we only had a week left and they'd already blown a lot of the budget, you know. Right. So I told them, I said, there is no way I can do a full, realistic grizzly bear costume, head and body, in a week. Mm-hmm. I said, I will do the head, but I actually usually like to have two weeks for that kind of a head. I'll do the head, but you have to call my friend Randy Carfagno and beg him to do the body. Because he does professional mascot costumes and he's got a crew and they do beautiful, you know, pieces. And I've worked with him a lot before, so we could coordinate, you know, and that's indeed what happened. That's what they did. Oh, cool. And, you know, Randy got the fur, he overdyed the fur, saved me a yard for the head, you know, and I got it done, you know, and it was one of my favorite heads that I've ever done. But it was, it was, you know, tricky because like I said, they didn't love the first one at all. <laughs> and it wasn't that it was a bad head. It was just the wrong head. And I really feel the assistant gave the studio the wrong information. Right. I think that's what it really boiled down to. Because mm-hmm. that shop does gorgeous work. You yeah, know? yeah. But they don't usually do animal heads either. That's not their forte. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's... that's where you can work with a friend, you know, in a different studio and coordinate. Yeah. Make it look like it's one place. Mm-hmm. We, we both got a good job out of it. And in fact, the, um, the designer sent me flowers okay. and a note that said, thank you for saving my, you know, career with Scott Rudin. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was very nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking up the film. It's actually about 
a bear Chris Rock wearing a yeah, bear yeah. costume. Like that's the plot of the film is that he's an action star who wears a bear costume. <laughs> that seems like an important prop to get right. Right. Because what they do is he's an actor who became famous doing these Hammy the Bear, you know, silly movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But now he wants to be a serious actor. So they do a flashback to one of these movies. Uh-huh. And I mean, this guy is like, you know, standing on a police car with a flak vest and machine guns and, you know, <laughs> It's really fun. I actually went to see the movie. I think it's one of his better movies because I don't usually go to that kind of comedy movie, uh-huh. but I thought it was actually quite well done. And I was, you know, really happy with the bear the way mm-hmm. it turned out. And I had a couple of fun still shots of the bear. So that's, oh, that's good. awesome. Yeah. It was that's a Christmas great. card one year, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> my big teddy bear, my vicious looking teddy bear. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, an interesting thing about that particular prop was that, you know, they wanted to know if I could animate the jaw. And I said, that's a lot more money. Yeah. And I don't, you, I don't like to get into rigging so much because I, I used to work with guys who were like great riggers. So I did my thing and they did the rigging, you know? Mm-hmm. And I said, I could get it priced for you by a very good rigger who's done a lot of puppets and stuff and done Henson and all that. They said, we'll do that. And the price came back $2,000. They go, nah. Because they'd already, of course, you know, like I said, spent part of the budget, Yeah. you know, on the there. So I said, I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will since this is film, I'm going to armature wire the ears and the brows. And then between shots, you can change the position. You can make the brows furrow or go up. You can make the ears flatten like he's angry or go forward. Because mm-hmm. of course you can't do that in a show, you know, on stage. Yeah. But editing, what's cool about film or television, because of the edits, people will totally believe that the bear moved his brow or moved his ears. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that perceived reality. And, uh, and I said, and I won't even charge you extra for that. Mm-hmm. That's an easy thing for me to do. I'll just throw that in. So they were thrilled and it worked, mm-hmm. you know, so that, that worked out really well. Yeah. That's awesome. So now that designer loves me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <Right? laughs> well, it has been such a pleasure having you on our show, Zoe. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. It was really fun. I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. We'll for sure have to have you on again because I myself have a million more questions I, I keep wanting to ask. So we'll have to have you on another time. Happy to do it. Thank you all for listening in and make sure to follow us on Twitter at Silk Mache and email us with any questions or ideas at propspodcast at gmail.com. And subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play and Spotify and check out our website at silkflowersandpapermachehearts.com where you can find all of our old episodes. This has been another episode of Silk Flowers and Paper Mache Hearts with your hosts, Eric Hart and Ashley Flowers. We'll see you next time.